0: это наиболее Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast with me, Blake Lambert-Hack. This season, I am covering cases from Edinburgh, Scotland, and tonight is no different. We're talking about hauntings and murder in the Holyrood Palace, Holyrood House, whatever you want to call it. I'm very excited to get into this story. I find Mary Stewart a.k.a. Mary Queen of Scots, incredibly fascinating. I I did, like, a whole book report about her, I believe, in middle school. The book was insanely big, but her story is very interesting for how young she was when she became queen, how young she was when she was imprisoned. It's a wild ride. There's a lot of moving pieces to her story and this story in general, Many of which are political. I am not giving you the full in-depth thesis. My degree is not in history. But the basis as to why Holyrood is haunted is what we will be getting into. Also, before I forget, it is the night before New Year's Eve. So I hope you guys are all enjoying the weekend partying hard, being safe, drink those bubbles. I will not be at the ball drop in New York City because that sounds hellish to me. Standing out, usually in the cold, though this weekend is going to be oddly warm, almost 60 degrees, I believe, which I'm not complaining about because I am sick of the cold weather already, and we had like four days of it here, so... But I will not be standing watching that ball drop. I've heard too many horror stories of people wearing Depends and diapers because you can't leave the holding area to go to the bathroom. And you have to get there before like 3 p.m. It's insane. I don't know why anybody would do it. The only way you get me at that ball drop is A, if I'm performing, or B, if I am in a building (laughs) somehow in Times Square watching the ball drop from a warmed living room looking out onto Times Square. That's the only way it'll get me there. Or maybe a rooftop. A rooftop would be fun. I would do that. So if anybody's listening and has that access, I'll be there on Saturday. Other than that, I will be at a bar, club, with friends, drinking champagne, enjoying my night, because I don't have to work. So I hope you all have a wonderful New Year's Eve. But till then, let jump into Holyrood House. On Saturday, March 9th, 1566 at 8pm, Mary Queen of Scots, her private secretary David Rizzio, her stepsister Lady Jean Stewart, and Jean's mother Elizabeth Bethune were all having supper in Mary's private chambers while her husband was away. I will obviously post photos online as I do every episode, but I'm really loving Mary's room situation. So I I guess at that time, the king and queen did not sleep in the same bedroom. They weren't even in the same wing of the palace. So Mary had her own little situation going on and she just had some people over in her bedroom to have dinner, supper if you will, They were all enjoying playing cards, just having a lovely evening on March 9th. Little did they know, while they were having food and merriment, a group of 80 men were infiltrating Holyrood Palace. Without notice, Mary's husband, Henry Stewart, also known as Lord Darnley, he enters her chambers and interrupts the festivities which is rude, honestly. If you're gonna at least knock. At least knock. You don't know what's happening in there. I get it, it's your wife, but like she has people over. Be be respectful. But he bursts in, he takes a seat next to his six month pregnant wife. Mary is six month six months pregnant at this point. She's huge. At least that's what I'm gathering from photos I've looked at and descriptions, but he wraps his arm around her waist, which sounds lovely. A man that's there for you. That's comforting. That wants to make you feel safe. You know, a warm embrace. We love it. But this kind of affection was very unusual for him. This is Mary's second husband. So, and her cousin. So I don't think they were super PDA because of that because he showed this affection, it made Mary uncomfortable, uneasy. She didn't really do anything about it, but she was like, this is odd. But they carried on, chatted cordially, continued the enjoyment until, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, I have many dogs around me, two in the backyard, one above me. It's wild. Anyway, they're continuing on with their lovely evening. Her husband's there now. Everyone's kind of like, this is weird, but okay. Again, another man bursts into her bedroom. The Earl of R- Ruthven. His name is Patrick. He entered her chambers, which I don't think is cooth, Especially because he showed up unannounced. So Patrick... Asked for David Rizzio to follow him, for he had overstayed his welcome in Mary's chambers. I don't think that's his call to make. I think that's Mary's call to make, especially because her husband is sitting right there. So if there was anything, if, if Patrick had an issue with some infidelity or rumors or whatever, her husband's in the room. If he's not comfortable with David being there, he can tell him to leave. But things were fine. So Patrick, fuck off. You know what? And I'm going to take some liberty and say, I bet Mary was thinking that, if not saying it, Patrick, fuck off. I'm the queen. Even though David worked for Mary, they were best friends as well. So Patrick's request made Mary very nervous. Everybody knew that they were best friends and that he worked for her and that he was allowed to be in there. So him busting in unannounced and being like, let's go. You got to go. It's not something was off. So Mary stood up immediately and shielded David, asking Patrick to leave, telling Patrick to fuck off. Lady Jean and her mother, Elizabeth, stood as well, moving toward Patrick to get him to leave Mary's bedroom because he had no right being there, which, you know what? Woman power. That's what I gotta say about that. Before they could get Patrick out of the room, though, he pulled a pistol out and gestured for the two women to back up. So it's aggressive, it's hostile. David is still hiding behind Mary, and at this point he's extremely nervous and he's grasping her dress when Mary's husband grabs her and tries to restrain his wife. Now this is just abuse, and we're not here for any of this. Obviously her husband is in on whatever's happening right now, Patrick's got a gun. We're not, we're not playing games anymore. This is serious. The card games are done. I guess we're done with dinner. I hope everyone had enough food. As this struggle is going on and he's trying to restrain his wife, everyone can hear footsteps running up the stairs toward Mary's bedroom. David begins to plead for his life, rightfully so, begging Mary to save him because she is the most powerful person in Scotland. At this point, several men enter the room, flipping the table over as they entered. So again, if you're going to come in someone's room unannounced, at least treat their things nicely. Don't attack women. Don't flip over tables that had food on it and candles and cards It's just not okay. Is everyone listening? It's not okay. So when the table's being flipped over, again, like I said, there's candles on it, and it wasn't like anything was fireproof back then. This is the 1500s. Lady Jean, thinking quickly, grabs the candelabra so she keeps the room lit as well. Because remember, there's no lighting as, you know, we only have candles to light the room. So she not only saved it from causing a fire, but she also kept the room lit so everyone wasn't fighting in the dark. As she does that, David is stabbed over Mary's shoulder by Henry's uncle, George Douglas. So Mary's husband's uncle stabs her best friend while he's hiding behind Mary, so it's a good thing he has good aim because otherwise Mary would have been stabbed. And then they drag David out of the room while a man named Andrew Kerr points a pistol at Mary's stomach, at her unborn baby. And Mary's husband is, leaves the room and he's like, I gotta do what I gotta do. It's fucked up. I need you all to remember at this point, she's six months pregnant and she's like, 23 years old or something like that. This woman, this is trauma. She was restrained by her husband. Her best friend is being dragged out by several men. And now she has a pistol being pointed at her stomach. I'm not a doctor, but I don't think that's good for the baby. I don't. So David Rizzio is dragged screaming for help from his, for his best friend, help from his best friend, Mary, who is stuck in the room next to where they're dragging him, which is called an anti-chamber, anti It's where Mary would meet guests during the day, like royal meetings or whatever. Um, that is where David was dragged by these men. And in that room, David was stabbed 56 times with the final blow coming from George using Henry's dagger. Mary, Lady Jean, and Elizabeth were left in the room, guarded by intruders. So some of the 80 men stood guarding that room so the women couldn't get out and no one could get in. While David's body was stripped of his fine clothing and jewelry and tossed down the main staircase. Yes, he worked for Mary, but he had like really nice stuff because A, she's the queen. B, he's her best friend, so I'm sure... She bought him a bunch of stuff, just like Ariana Grande bought her six friends rings. Same, same thing. It's the exact same thing. So they stripped him naked, tossed him down the main staircase of Hollyrood after he was stabbed 56 times. Mary, of course, is distraught at this point, continually asking if David was dead. Several hours later... Her servants were allowed to relay the news that David Rizzio was in fact murdered. So yes, 23-year-old Mary, Queen of Scots, didn't have time to grieve. She knew she had to escape from the 80 men that had taken over Holyrood. She also realized she couldn't do that alone at six months pregnant. She's smart. Mary is a very intelligent woman. Her husband is 20 years old, thinking he made a horrible decision on being in on this whole murder David situation, which I guess that's a good thing. If you're part of a plot to murder someone, you should feel bad about that. Otherwise, you're a psychopath or sociopath. But he made his way back to Mary's chambers, where he was allowed in because he was part of it and the guards were like, sure, that's fine, it's your wife. In her chambers, when it was just the two of them, Mary, or sorry, Lady Jean and her mom have left at this point. It's just Mary and Henry. And she was able to convince him that they needed to escape. And not just escape, but escape together. Like, she was really playing it cool. She is obviously mad that Her husband was in on killing her best friend, but she's like, I need to get the fuck out of here. I need to make smart decisions. I'll deal with that later. So two nights after David's murder, Mary and Henry were able to escape through underground passages that led to the stables where loyal servants supplied the couple with horses. They rode all night. They rode east to Dunbar Castle. Today it's around a 40 minute drive, but in a letter Mary later wrote to her cousin Elizabeth I, she explains the murder and that she had to ride for five hours in the middle of the night at six months pregnant in March of 1566. She deserves better. She deserves a better husband. She deserves so much more than what she had to deal with. March, I'm sure it's still cold. It's not like they had access to a million clothing options. They're trying to escape. They can't pack suitcases. She's six months pregnant on the horse. Now, I don't know how often you all ride horses, but riding a horse is not easy. I'm sure back then more people were better at it because it was the main way of transportation, but it's not easy. I can't imagine riding a horse 6 months pregnant. Also, I don't know if they had saddles or not. I don't know if she was riding bareback. I have no idea what the exact situation is, but regardless, it's tough. In the middle of the night. Again, no street lights, no car lights. We ain't got none of that shit. She is riding in the dark and hoping that no she doesn't get caught because I'm sure back then she's the she's the queen of Scotland. If she's pulled over by some robbers or by some random people, she could be held hostage and put up for ransom. It'd be that easy. She's lucky that no one stopped them and she made it to Dunbar Castle. While they sought refuge at Dunbar Castle in Dunbar, which is around 30 miles east of Edinburgh, a few days later, the couple returned to Edinburgh Things had died down. Hollyrood was no longer being held captive. Once it got back to Edinburgh, Mary never trusted her husband again. Rightfully so. But she did keep up appearances for almost a year. Which is smart. You gotta make smart decisions at this point. What's that saying? Keep your friends close while your enemies closer? She kept her husband so close. Tight leash. On June 19th, 1566, Mary gave birth to her son, James VI, at Edinburgh Castle. After, Mary and her son, James, moved back to Holyrood House, which, if you don't know, Holyrood is really just down the road from the castle. If you listen to the first episode, I talk about how um, Edinburgh Castle's on... A huge rock. So if you go down the hill on the Royal Mile to the end of the Royal Mile is where Holyrood is, sitting in Holyrood Park. She gave birth in Edinburgh Castle. Now her and her son are in Holyrood House. Henry moved down the road of Holyrood House about like a ten-minute walk to a house called Old Provost. Some historians believe he had smallpox. Or syphilis. So he was quarantining. That may be true. We're not entirely sure, but it also is important to know that Mary and Henry weren't really getting along, of course. So historians also believe that Henry may have been bisexual since he frequented brothels seeking men, but he also loved Mary enough to kill someone he thought was sleeping with his wife. So there's a lot of turmoil in this marriage is what I'm getting at. So he may have moved away because he had some kind of bacterial disease or something or sexual disease or whatever the case may be. He also may have just moved there because they needed to be separate from each other for a bit because he tried to, well, he did kill her best friend. So there's also a lot of like political motivation going on at this point and a lot of political motivation behind David Rizzio's death. There are letters that suggested that Mary wanted to be with Henry and continue their conjugal visits since they weren't living together. However, she was also trying to figure out how to divorce him without her son losing his place in line for the crown. So, yeah, a lot of politics behind the scenes happening. On February 10th, 1567, at 2 a.m., there was a loud explosion that destroyed Henry's house, old provost house. Henry, her husband, Mary's husband, was found dead outside of his burning house, next to a pear tree. Laying next to Henry was a servant who was also dead. When authorities and first responders took a closer look, at Henry's body, they realized that he had been strangled and that the explosion that blew up the house and killed a, another servant that was inside the house at the time, the explosion did not kill Henry or the other servant found next to him outside. There wasn't any initial suspects since there wasn't really any evidence All we know at this point is that a fire happened and Henry was strangled, but we don't know by who, nobody really saw very much. I think, yeah, 2 a.m. It's really late and dark out, so no suspects at this point. But a few hours after the explosion, Mary awoke to a servant hanging black curtains in her room, and that's how Mary found out that her husband was murdered. She observed 40 days of mourning while an investigation began for the murder of the King of Scotland. A pair of shoes were found nearby the murders, and the shoes led to a man named Archibald Douglas. Don't ask me how the shoes led there or how they tracked them. I don't think Nike was a brand back then, or that they really did a lot of uh, shoe imprint analysis, but... I guess they were tracked back to Archibald Douglas. The gunpowder that they found at the scene was traced back to the Earl of Bothwell, named James Hepburn. Archibald was a supporter of James, and Bothwell became the lead suspect of Henry's murder. But before he was arrested, James intercepted Mary on the road, As she was making her way back to Holyrood, he convinced Mary that she was safer with him than in Edinburgh, which I can see her believing because her best friend was murdered and now her husband was murdered. So I'm sure she was like, You're right. Edinburgh is not a safe place. Let me go hide somewhere else. So he took her to Dunbar but instead of protecting her and making sure she was okay, he basically kept Mary hostage. Now there are inconsistent statements here. Some say he was, James was able to convince Mary to marry him so that they would both have political security. And then after they got married, he raped Mary because she didn't want, want to marry him. Another version states that she took his advice And they were to be married and that they needed to consummate their relationship in fear that she was pregnant already with his baby. Which would have caused a scandal. That would have been a whole other issue. So no one really knows for sure. But what we do know is that Mary got married to James three months after her husband's murder to the man suspected of his murder. So the optics weren't great. I do think Mary got bad advice here, but also I kind of believe that maybe she was forced into this marriage because I don't really see her. Again, she's an intelligent woman. I don't really see her marrying the prime suspect of her husband as a good move. I don't see her doing that really, but we'll never know. Unfortunately, everyone thought Mary had something to do with her husband's murder because she married her, the prime suspect. Therefore, the Confederates took arms against the Queen and her new husband to avenge Henry's death. The Queen negotiated with the Confederates And after the negotiations, Bothwell and Mary did not have to face trials. However, Mary did have to abdicate. Not that she wanted to. She had always been vying for the crown of England, but it was to save her life and to keep her son in that line to become king one day. And this leads to Mary escaping to England and so on for the rest of her life. And that's a whole other story. Um, I talk about in the first episode with Ty, uh, Mary King's close and how Mary was kept in one of those rooms or houses for a year, I believe that was after she was, or like during trials and arrest situations after her husband was murdered and she was a suspect. But yeah, that's, um, that's where we're going to leave that story because we're talking about Holly So we have one murder, one major murder in Holyrood, and we have another murder uh, in Old Provost's house. But oddly enough, where King Henry lived and died, sat within a field called Kirkofield, like a, a grassland area called Kirklefield. Kirk means church. So originally the land the house sat on was owned by the Augustinians, uh, which was an abbey and uh, a a religious group that founded Holyrood Abbey. So long story short, David died in Holyrood. Henry died on the land that was owned by Holyrood. So two major murders already happening on the land owned by Holyrood. Originally, before the palace was built, was an abbey, a church, Holyrood Abbey. So the beginning of Holyrood, which is now a, um, again, it started as a Holyrood, as an abbey. Now, if you go and visit, it is a ruined Augustinian Holyrood Abbey. Like you can still see the church, but it is in ruins. And the abbey was founded in eleven twenty eight by King David I. So we're gonna take it back a little bit more. So the story goes, this is how everything began, how Holyrood began. The story goes, King David I of Scotland ruined King David I of Scotland ruled from 1124 to 1153, and he lived in Edinburgh Castle at this point. September marks the beginning of hunting season, so King David grabbed his bow and spear and headed off with his men every year to go hunting. If you remember in a previous episode... So in 1124, it's the castle mainly... And then there's the wall around the castle, and everyone lived within the wall. So him hunting was outside the wall. It it was all like forest land at this point. While King David and his men were out hunting, they stumbled upon a majestic white stag, and he decided to follow the stag deeper into the forest, And while he followed the stag, he eventually realized that he wandered off too far and lost his hunting party. How none of them saw the king wander off is beyond me, but he ended up alone with this white stag. The rest of the men were nowhere to be found, and King David looked around to see if he saw anyone. And when he turned back around, the white stag burst out from behind trees and bushes, startling the king's horse, which threw him to the ground and ran off, leaving the king and the stag face to face. Now stags, male deer, huge. They're antlers, intimidating. They're not, it's not a Bambi situation, Right. It would be kind of terrifying being face-to-face with this in the forest alone. King David began to pray for his life. His bow had disappeared with his horse, and his spear was tossed from the horse with King David, and it was laying a few feet away. But, of course, just out of reach, as any other movie you've ever seen. You can barely reach it. The stag lowered its head, preparing to stab the king with its antlers. But instead, David watched as a glowing cross appeared between the stag's antlers. David reached out to grab the cross, as if entranced. But before he could take hold, the stag ran off. King David was convinced he had seen the Holy Cross, also known as Holyrood in Scotland. So from that moment, he vowed to build an abbey on the sacred land. Holy Cross, Holyrood being like the, uh, the original cross for all you Christians out there. The true cross. Of course, no one will ever know for certain what actually happened in the forest, but it did change King David forever. Holyrood Abbey was built a year later, which is quick for 1100s. The 1100s. <laughs> the abbey was used by the royals as well as the monks, since it wasn't very far from Edinburgh Castle. And the actual land of the Abbey was a five-mile radius around where the um, Abbey's sanctuary was. Those who were granted sanctuary were given lodging within the five miles of the Abbey, and they were called Abbey Lairds. Parliament met at the Abbey eight times between 1256 and 1326 and was later used as a royal residence in 1329. Royals were born in the Abbey. James II was crowned at Holyrood in 1437. Between 1498 and 1501, James IV constructed a palace on the land and turned the rectory into a great hall, and a new rectory was built shortly after. During the War of the Rough Wooing, which is a really fun, not that war is fun, but the title's fun, Rough Wooing, uh, also known as the Eight Years' War, when Scotland broke from the Roman Catholic Church, England invaded and inflicted considerable damage to the Abbey. Lead was stripped from the roof, the bells were removed, and the Abbey was robbed of its belongings. And if you've watched Les Mis, you don't steal from churches. It's not okay. Church and monks may forgive you for it, but it's not okay. In 1559, a mob destroyed the altars and looted the rest of the church during the Scottish reformation. Little by little, the church was closed off and demolished because of structural issues it was having. And eventually the abbey was converted from the order or it was converted for the order of the thistle. The order of the thistle was the greatest order of chivalry in Scotland recognizing 16 knights with the highest honor. You can do more research on them if you'd like. In 1688, a mob broke in and destroyed the royal tombs. So it's really not, this This church really isn't holding up well. Too many people are breaking in and trashing it, and it's not. It's looking pretty rough. So to try and keep the abbey in shape... The wooden roof trusses were replaced with stone. However, the weight of the stone couldn't be supported by the walls. And six years after the switch from wooden to stone, the church was closed for safety measures. And on December 2nd, 1768, the roof collapsed. And that is how the abbey stands today. A Roofless Sanctuary. So that's a little bit about how Holyrood came to be. Um, You can check out the sanctuary today. It's beautiful. The ruins are beautiful. The pictures of what it used to look like are beautiful. There's a beautiful painting of the church called the Ruins of Holyrood Chapel by Louis Daguerre in 1824 great painter. That's how you pronounce his name. He's a great painter. As I mentioned, between 1501 and 1505, James IV constructed a palace adjacent to the abbey. Historians believe he had the palace built because he was to be married in the abbey. And the palace was huge, containing a chapel, gallery, apartments, great hall, two-story gatehouse, workshop, and a lion house in the gardens to house the king's lion, civet, tigers, lynx, and bears. Oh my. Later, a tower was added, drawbridge, and moat. And not long after that, there were renovations which added a library and council chambers. It became much nicer to live in compared to Edinburgh Castle and was the main home to the Scottish royals until Mary, Queen of Scots, only son, James VI, became king of England and Scotland. He originally lived in Holyrood Palace, but then when he became king, he moved to London to live there. The royals, from then on, visit every so often until a major fire The royals did visit every so often until a fire destroyed a decent amount of the palace in 1650. Ten years after the fire, the house was restored, and royals would visit and live in the palace periodically. And between 1650 and now, like honestly, who all lived in the house and what all remodeling got done isn't really worth mentioning. And so much happens for centuries that I'm going to skip over. Just know that royals, the royals, still visit Holyrood today. And you can take a tour of the palace. Elizabeth II spent one week a year at Holyrood each summer. And after her death, she was brought to Holyrood Palace for a couple days before being taken to St. Giles Cathedral. David Rizzio and Henry Stewart weren't the only people to die. The palace has been raided multiple times over the centuries, but there were two that really stand out. The first raid on Holyrood, which took place in December 27th, 1591, led by Francis Stewart, 5th Earl of Bothwell, He was followed by 60 men. They raided the palace for a few different reasons. One was to release tortured servants accused of killing someone. Noble. One of the servants was tortured Christmas Day with the boot. A device that would enclose your calves and feet in wood or iron, then squeeze them until you confessed Or passed out. Fun. Later, the boot would, like, people would add spikes inside. Or they would heat up the iron till it was red hot. Because, you know, people found torture to be fun. Francis was also raiding Holyrood to gain favor with his cousin, King James VI. He fell out of favor when he was accused of witchcraft during the North Berkwick Witch Trials. Which, I, I will talk about witches later. People love witches. Witches always pop up in my research. No matter what city I'm in, no matter what century, I'm, witches are always popping up. But yeah, uh, Francis was accused of witch, witchery, and King James VI was like, oh no, I can't be associated with a witch. And then his cousin was like, well, what the fuck? So he's raiding his house, I guess. The 60 men that were following Francis didn't get very far before the king realized what was happening. James Sixth and Anne of Denmark barricaded themselves inside the palace tower while most of the court were still having dinner in Holyrood. During this raid, a man named Robert Scott was shot and killed. Another was hit in the back of the head. The men of Holyrood were able to defend the king, and Francis and his men fled, though seven of the raiders were captured and hanged. As the men fled through the stables of Holyrood, a struggle ensued, and two more raiders were killed. Most of the men, if not all of the men, were wearing masks, so it became difficult to know who was actually involved and who wasn't. I believe the ultimate goal was to kidnap the king, since James VI had no interest in talking to his cousin Or forgiving him for being involved in witchcraft. But they were obviously unsuccessful and things went on. And again, because they were wearing masks, the king didn't really have anyone to really, like, accuse or arrest or hang. Other than the ones they immediately captured. So I think he had a good idea. It was his cousin behind it, but he had no real proof. However, six months later, Francis tried it again. However, this time he raided Falkland Palace, which was north of Edinburgh. He also gained followers as well. So the 60 men turned into 300 supporters. However, the king and queen found out before the raid and took precautions, as you do when you're under attack. Francis and his followers didn't get very far and just stole some royal horses because the king and queen knew what was happening so they didn't they couldn't really do much so they just stole some horses. I would love a horse by the way so if anyone's listening wants to get me a horse I do live in the city so someone will have to like house it for me but I would love a horse maybe even a cloud style How do you get up on those? I mean, a little ladder-y, I presume, because they're so tall. Anyway. The next raid, which happened a month later, Francis took a completely different approach this time. On July 24th, 1593, he smuggled himself into Holyrood Palace in a disguise and made his way into the king's bedchamber. Now, I would love to know what this disguise is. I... I'm hoping that all he did was wear, like, a monocle and a mustache, and they're like, oh, hi, come on in. Or maybe he wore drag. Maybe he did a human lace front and some stilettos and stomped his way into the castle. I don't know what the disguise was, but if you know and have information, please send it my way, because I feel like, I don't know wore a hat and got in, I'd be a little disappointed. I need some effort. If you're gonna smuggle yourself into a heavily guarded royal's house, you gotta put some effort into it. Maybe he came in as a cook. I was like, I work here. I don't know. I need to find that out, though. He made his way into the king's bedchambers, though. And Francis hid behind a tapestry until the king was alone. So again, (laughs) I just picture, you know, huge tapestries on the wall. I would love a tapestry. We kind of have one in our apartment. My roommate's mom is a quilter and she makes tons of quilts and we have one hanging on our wall. But I just picture him standing behind this and his feet showing and everyone just like ignoring that there's someone standing behind a tapestry. But once the king was alone, Francis came out from behind the tapestry, drew his sword and raised it to strike the king down. However, before he could King James the 6th responded, quote, "Strike, traitor, and make an end of thy work, for I desire not to live any longer." Unquote. Francis dropped to his knees, and offered his sword to the king. James decided against beheading his cousin. Lovely gesture. Others say the king said, quote, Francis, thou will do me no ill, unquote. And that's when Francis fell to his knees. Either way, it seems like a lot of dramatics for nothing. Like you're gonna sneak into the castle, raise a sword, and then... At the last second, be like, oh, King, forgive me. (laughs) And then don't behead me. It's like, come on. Come on. Just get coffee. Talk it over. James forgave his cousin Francis for the raids. And the only consequence Francis faced was exile. Which I guess is challenging and like really hard back then. Like, being thrown out of your country sounds awful and kind of impossible. But Francis, because he had a royal lineage, he knew plenty of people in Europe. He had places to go, so he was fine. But I could not imagine being exiled, like, tossed out of the United States and, like, go find somewhere else to live. It's like, I don't know anybody outside the United States to live with. I don't know how to convert my dollar to another... Like to a euro? Um, I, I don't know where I would begin. But with that, let's take a quick break. Get your Hollywood tour tickets. And I will be right back. going to get into Holyrood house hauntings because of course the palace is haunted. The land has been occupied since the 1100s and the palace has seen all kinds of deaths. More than what I've already mentioned, but David Rizzio again was murdered in the house and he definitely haunts the palace to this day. The most prominent of his presence is a blood stain where David was brutally stabbed to death. And even though the floorboards have been washed, replaced, what like s- treated, whatever they've done to those floorboards to keep them looking nice for centuries, that blood stain still remains there. How I don't know, but there's definitely a red stain on the floor. There are unexplained noises that come from that room at night, and people have seen a figure linger in that room as well. And I would haunt the fuck out of that place, too, if I was stabbed 56 times by jealous men. I'd be pissed to shit. Mary Queen of Scots has said to be seen walking around Holyrood. But she has also been seen in almost every castle or palace she has ever stayed in, which I think is great. If you have that ability to travel to these different places as a ghost, why not? I believe she is haunting these places, and because she died far too young and didn't deserve the ending she saw, so haunt. You didn't get to live out your life in these places. Go do it now. Why not? There is also a ghost referred to as the Grey Lady, who many people believe is one of Mary's servants that roams the Queen's audience room. Many attribute the footsteps heard walking down the long gallery to be the Grey Lady. And Mary's second husband, Henry, has also been seen, specifically in his bedroom, or wandering the grounds of the palace. The most common ghost, though, is that of a woman many believe to be Agnes Sampson. She was beloved around town and thought to have healing powers as a midwife. Which I could see, like, giving birth back then, I mean, giving birth now is still incredibly hard, but especially back then without the Uh, advances in technology and medicine like so many childbirth gone wrong situations so if you are a midwife and you have a lot of success in delivering babies I'm sure you were thought of as like a witch a healer whatever you want to be called but she was a widow with children so single mom though we don't know much about her husband or her children. In 1590, King James VI, Mary's son, was returning home from Copenhagen after marrying Anne of Denmark. He was the king of England and Scotland at this point and has ties to Denmark and Norway now through marriage. He was on his way home James and Anne's ship was pounded by storms to the point where they almost died at sea. At the, at the same time, the Copenhagen witch trials were underway, and a woman named Anne, Anne Coldings was already in prison for witchcraft in Copenhagen. She was considered so dangerous they called her the Mother of the Devil, what a fucking title. Mother of the Devil. Everyone's so scared of the devil, but no one's ever scared of the Mother of the Devil. What about the Father of the Devil? Who knew the devil had parents? I sure didn't. Anne Coldings, Mother of the Devil. It's kind of badass, though. If I if you had a nickname like that, I would go around telling people I was the Mother of the Devil. It's kind of hot. She was infamous and confessed to many visitors of the prison. So people would, you know, she was infamous, so people would come to the prison and be like, I wanna take a look at the mother of the devil. What does she look like? What does she sound like? What is she doing? Does she look like the devil? So they'd visit her in prison, and then while they're like taking a stroll, she'd be like, yeah, I did it. It was me. Uh Uh-huh, I killed him. I'm a witch. Christopher Waldendorf, Valkendorf, what a name! Christopher Valkendorf was initially accused of not prepping the royal ship for the king and queen properly, and he was blamed for the storms and almost death of the royals. And so he, in return, said it wasn't me. I prepared the ship amazingly. Which, I mean, he probably did. He probably, there was probably nothing else he could have done. It's just bad weather. But everyone's psycho back then. So, I don't want to call them psycho. They were uneducated. But he, in return, didn't want the blame on him. So he accused Anne Colding because she was already known as a witch. So he's like, no, she brought the storm. She almost killed the royals. So they tortured Colding until she confessed. To getting a few women together to send little demons to the ship. Imagine that power to send little demons to do your bidding. Little demons. I think of like cherubs, but like demon versions of cherubs. They like flying overseas and like creating storms and stuff. The power. But yeah, she was like, yeah, I got my little coven together and we like sent it and almost killed the King and Queen. Shucks, we missed out. So she was later executed by burning. Again, she's not a witch. Who knows why she said she was a witch. They tortured her. So of course she's confessed. So I mean, again, witchcraft, you really, it, once you're accused of being a witch, it is extremely difficult to get out of that. When the king and queen did return to Scotland, the North Berwick witch trials began. And as I've mentioned, we see time and time again, women are tortured until they confess to being a witch or until they die. Same went for the servant G. Duncan, who confessed after extreme torture, most of which she endured. Most of the torture she endured was... Hillywinks, winks, which was the crushing of fingers and toes, specifically thumbs and big toes. And sometimes they would be like spiked and go through your nail. I'm sorry if you cringed. I should have gave a warning. But that's, that's terrifying. I mean, most of your hand is air. So they do say... That if you were to bite your finger, it would be like biting into celery or a carrot. Like that consistency. But because obviously we have nerve endings, we our brain won't let us do that. But I guess like crushing your fingers and toes wouldn't be difficult because it's just little tiny bones and a bunch of air. But still, it's like, what is that scene in Black Swan where she like picks at her nail and then like the skin pulls... Gross. Gross. So yeah, being you're having your fingers and toes crushed? Horrible. Especially with a, a spike going through your nail. She didn't confess to that, though. She survived. She survived all that. I'm sure all her toes and fingers were broken. And she was like, I am not a witch. You better fuck off. She did eventually confess, though. Because of the bullshit searching method where you search someone's body for a witch's mark, which is basically just a birthmark or blemish. And if you had a mole, you were a witch. So like everyone is a fucking witch. If you're accused and they search your body and you're like, what's this? I'm like, it's a mole witch. What's this? Oh, I was born with that. Mother of the devil. It's crazy. Duncan confessed because she was searched and while she was confessing, they she gave other people's names, including Agnes. Agnes Sampson, who haunts hollywood House. Agnes was tortured for her supposed involvement for the bad weather, and Agnes refused to confess as well. Good for Agnes. Even after torture and questioning, so the elderly woman was brought to Holyrood Palace in front of King James the Sixth. She was stripped search and checked for witches' marks. They shaved all of her hair off to find a mark, all while they had a rope tied around her neck. And she refused to confess for an hour until they found a mark. And the reason they like shaved Everyone is because the thought was these witches and demons are so smart that they'll hide their witch's mark under hair and so we can't see them. So they'll shave people's entire bodies. Heads. Limbs. Torsos. Whatever they needed to find a mark. And after her confession, she was taken to Castle Hill where she was garretted, which is used to strangle someone. Then after she was strangled, she was burned at the stake on January 28th, 1591. So the naked ghost of Agnes is said to roam Holyrood Palace. A recent sighting was from a maintenance man who had just arrived at Holyrood in the early morning when he saw Agnes at the end of a well-lit corridor. She was naked, she was bald, she was severely injured, her body was horribly, like, like, tortured, obviously, and she was limping toward the man with her arms out, begging for help. At the end of a well-lit corridor, that's terrifying. It's always you see a shadow, or it's A dark room and you think someone's watching you. But to see that, that's some like The Shining, like the old naked woman in the bathtub. That's what this is. She's limping down the corridor begging for help. I'm sure if I saw that, I'd probably think it was like someone who's actually begging for help. Though if she was like translucent, then that's something different. Regardless, the maintenance man screamed rightfully so. And when he screamed, she disappeared. So when you're there and taking a tour and everything, keep your eye out, take plenty of photos, because it really seems like the ghosts wander the palace all damn day. And again, we always think of ghosts at like nighttime or it's thunderstorming or, you know. Times of days that we feel uneasy, or at least most people feel uneasy. But I do think the creepiest times is like middle of the day, I'm seeing a ghost. There's a movie about that, I think. I think it's called. It's based off of a flower, I think. Maybe it's not ghosts. I don't remember. But these people are like being attacked in the middle of the day. In daylight. That's creepy. And I don't know how I would feel about like, because I, I know, and we all know now the story of David Rizzio and Mary, Queen of Scots and how they died. I think it'd be kind of sad if I ran into them wandering about the palace because they both deserved a longer life and a better treatment. And if they were having sex, let them have sex. That's the other thing. Henry was visiting all these brothels, fucking around with everybody, and Mary is rumored to sleep with one other person, and he's murdered for it. That's fucked up. That is that is sexism at its finest. Also, I hope they're, you know what, I hope they're still getting together in the afterlife. If they're both haunting that palace, I hope Mary and David are still enjoying themselves shove it in Henry's face, because he's also haunting that palace, so he can stand there and deal with it. But thank you for all for joining me this week. I could go on forever about Mary Queen of Scots and the ghosts at this palace, but go visit. I'm dying to be get to Edinburgh, and I will get there sooner than later. But if you have your own paranormal experience and would like it read on the podcast, email me at hauntedhometownspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com or DM the socials. Could be anything from footprints in your yellow shag carpet to a ghost child tattling to your parents about what you did. Let me know and follow the socials for photos, guests, upcoming news. Next week, I have a very special guest, very excited for another Edinburgh story. I love you all. I hope you have a wonderful and safe New Year's Eve, 2023 is going to be all our years. I swear to God, big things are coming. Get ready for another year of true crime paranormal investigations because everyone loves a ghost story. The theme song is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Pop and f- check out his music on any streaming platform, Spotify, Apple Music, etc. T-H-A-I-R. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him at p.e.p.e.munoz, M-U-N-O-Z, fantastic artist and stylist. I got my information from Wikipedia, Little House of Horrors, Folklore Scotland, Tudor Society, Freelance History Writer, and Royal Collection Trust.